everybody. Welcome to Girls Like Us. This is the podcast that asks the question, what if two girls sort of kind of read a bunch of dystopian novels and did it all October long? Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm Sophie. I'm joined by Franny today. Hello, Sophie. Uh, We're going to talk. We're going to hopefully go long on some non-book related things. Sorry, book warriors, but this is going to be a tough week for you guys. Uh, we're going to hopefully go long on some book related things. I just, I do have to say really quickly that I was convinced in my head. So we were like, we're doing book two of Divergent. Mm-hmm. We're doing book two of Divergent. That it was a Legion. I was convinced. I was convinced it was a Legion. Uh, dude, me too. I've, t- I've been talking about it and thinking about it. And when I, when, and again, here's a spoiler and we're allowed to, because it's a little tricks or treats. Um, Sophie read probably 85% of the book. I, and I'm very sorry. I only read 50% of it. Um, I would say that when I Googled it to then read the synopsis for what I missed, I Googled a Legion and I was reading and I was like, I don't remember this happening. Like a lot must have happened. Insurgent is just not a very memorable name. No. So I read 30% of a Legion yesterday. No. And I was literally like, why doesn't this make any sense? Like what what is happening to me and like, why does this not make any sense? I was like, there were all these names of like people I've like, I, we read Divergent in July. Like I was like, this is not, this was not that long ago. Why doesn't this make any sense? I was, I literally was like sitting in the law library, like, oh my God, like, like something is wrong with my brain. And then I Googled it to try to like look up a summary Mm -hmm. to see if there like was something that like uh, included like the background of the previous novel. And in doing so, um, sort of found out uh, by happenstance that, in fact, what I was reading was the wrong book. It was the third book because it was like it opens much like this book does, actually, mm-hmm. in the middle of a scene. Yeah. Like, no. Like, we complain. Yeah. Like, we complain about books um, that, like, give us too much context at the beginning. Like, every Pretty Little Liars book is like, uh, Emily showed up. Uh, to her friend Aria. Sorry, just Aria was my, the one who used to have pink. St- taking my truth serum now. Oh my God. So you can ask uh, whatever, whatever you want, right? In front um, of all these people. Yeah, Aria was the girl with pink hair who used to have an affair with their teacher. Uh, the two girls had met because their friend Allison. They were friends with Allison De Laurentiis, and mm-hmm. she died, and they found her in a hole. Like that was like every Pretty Little Liars book. Yeah, this book like. If you didn't just finish Divergent, you're fucked. Like, it's like we're I had reading to go back through, and read. Yeah, it's like we're reading through, um, you know, this book is set in Chicago. Like, it's reading, it's like reading through the most popular baby names in Chicago, 3012. Yeah. Uh, the, the amount of names that I read, and do, did that contribute to me not finishing this book? Yes, definitely. Maybe. They are hard yeah. to keep track of. I know who Marcus is. I know who Four is. And you know what? He even has two names. There's many characters that have two names. That's not helpful. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's not helpful. I have to say, quick, quick couple, and we're not we're not in it yet, mm-hmm. but a quick couple complaints right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Like Four slash Tobias. Mm-hmm. Just call him Four because kind of the bit is that like Tobias is a silly name, right? Like he's this tough guy who goes by four. And so the bit, the reveal in book one that his name is in fact, his given 
Christian, Christian name, name is in fact Tobias. Yeah, is like a bit. You know, it's mm-hmm. like supposed to be funny. Um, this like so throughout the book. Then this book, when she's calling him Tobias, it's like like. It, the it doesn't work like I don't know why but it's like I was really graded on reading the name Tobias over and over again yeah. because it's like just call him like nobody goes by nobody who's named Tobias goes by Tobias you go like, by just Toby. Call him Toby call him for yeah exactly like I just it's ridiculous um Marcus I had no idea who this bitch was he's the, for the, he's first the abusive half of the father who when we see in the movie Tobias's fear room there's like one million of him just like kind of holding a belt like Mm-hmm. Slapping it in his hand. Oh, and we learned that his mom's um, alive in this book, and she's the leader of the factionless. Apparently, the factionless yep. has money. Kind of, they have enough yeah, money f- to get food and stuff. And yeah. uh, the factionless operates similar to a faction. We learn, yeah, where the whole thing in the first book is that the factionless are sort of just kind of like riding the rails and like when you see one you kick them because you don't want them to like come near you because they might spread their you don't put a their, pie uh, out because they might right kind of float in the air towards it and exactly and get it. yeah <laughs> and get it and then you're not gonna have a pie no. anymore and you'll be feeding them and if exactly. you feed them honey they won't go out and get a job for themselves which they're not Something allowed to do they are, they're not allowed yeah, to do i think they're not allowed society. to do yeah no <laughs> This book is this. I'm comfortable saying that, like, this is one of the most unpleasant reading experiences I have ever had for this podcast. I do not yeah. blame you for finishing this book. Worse I than wish uglies. I had read Worse less of it. Worse than uglies. This is like, and that's saying something. I, I friend of the show, Kevin Strader, is here in Columbus visiting with us right now, and him and I just went out um, when we both finished work and in between finishing work and starting the podcast, we went out to have a drink, and I was like. The entire book, like, he was like, oh, like, what are you recording today? And I was like, um, the, you know, the second book mm-hmm. of the Divergent series that I thought was Allegiant. Turns out it's yeah. Insurgent. I was like, we, um, he was like, oh, that's fun. And I was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> the no. entire book is one battle. Like, it's pretty much like, you know, I, I that's not true. But, like, it's pretty much the entire book, like, does it take place in... 10 days does it take place in 30 days like I couldn't possibly tell you but it depicts pretty much like one thing yeah um what I'm curious what from the first 30 pages of Allegiant did you learn about it because what I read because I started to read the Wikipedia for that and I learned that uh Toby oh my god no I'm saying it Tobias's slash just call him Toby um, yeah uh Toby uh he um his mom had become the leader of the faction list and then she makes everyone um she creates a society where there are no factions and makes everyone live like that yeah and then then tobias and tris then want to overthrow that and go back to factions am i correct in that so the whole yes though it's like unclear destroy the the caste including this book yeah yeah the so it seems as if the ideology here like tris and four who I refuse to call the other name, mm-hmm. believe that factions are like the system that they go into at the beginning of the first divergent novel is good. Like they wow. believe that the factions, it seems as if that is the underlying belief that they're like, if everything were to stay the same, that would be good. Yeah. Uh, all of this sort of like power grabbing between factions it's is ultimately of the, a rudite. 
Yeah, because they're they, evil. Even they though it's have like, an issue no. with the erudite. Yes, it's like that faction is evil. That faction is the problem. There's not a lot of full-on questioning of the system of factions, even though the book series is called Divergent based on the concept that somebody can be divergent and therefore not fit in with a faction. It's right. it's very. I mean, Veronica Roth was famously like 23 when she wrote these, and I think it it bears the sort of philosophical fruit of what you would expect a 23-year-old would be capable of producing. But let's take a minute. Mm -hmm. Let's take a break from talking about this because I don't have, we don't have 50 minutes of discussing this book in us, Mm -hmm. I don't think. Um, Let's talk for a second. By the time you guys hear this, it's Halloween. It's October 31st. Um, I've been getting in the mood recently by watching some horror movies, both recent and not so recent. Mm-hmm. Let's just talk about Halloween plans. Which horror movies? Well, so uh, we watched Barbarian. Oh, don't last no spoilers. Night. We're gonna watch it tonight. No spoilers. Uh, we watched. Uh, have you seen the Black Phone? Yes, dude. Okay, I have to say something. Say it. Controversial opinion in diver- in not Divergent Month, uh, Dystopia Month. Ethan Hawke, really hard to make him not hot to me, even when he's playing the role of a uh, malicious serial killer. Um, but I think that's kind of the point. That that he is hot. Like, the point is, is he's going to be hot no matter what. I think the point in that movie, because look, that scene, like, those scenes where he's sitting in the chair with the belt. <laughs> yeah. Like, shirtless. His chest is totally, like, waxed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, He's he's not shirtless in a sense that is supposed to be gross to us, I think, right? Like well, he's shirtless. I do think it's supposed to be gross because it's implying that there would have been a sexual scenario had um the I forget the main character's boy. Like he it definitely is. It's implying that if if the the boy didn't follow that rules then he would have been punished in in a way that was, you know, sexually abusive. I think that's where it's I don't know from. if it's I don't know if it's sexually abusive. Yeah. I don't know that's what's being implied. No, dude, yeah, definitely. It's it, there's definitely an implication of and in, in the in the source material it's like explicit. Um it he yeah. just hasn't gotten to that yet. But he had the ability right. if he like tried to escape or whatever. Right. But I mean it's not supposed to be like, oh my god, like this guy is hot. It's supposed to be like there's an element of sexuality to it that's supposed to further that's that's what i'm make saying us feel weird that's what i'm saying yes. is because we knew that he would have gotten off on that situation like that's what's right. scary about it too no but i mean the showing of the the showing of him shirtless and the specific choice to have his chest area like waxed and looking like conventionally hot is supposed to make us feel turned on and then make us feel uncomfortable with being turned <laughs> no, on by that situation. I don't think I don't think that's the intention. I think the intention is like he's he this guy is like so meticulous and like um the he I mean he's obviously doing bad things but he's doing it all and like he has to give himself permission to do it basically. I think that's him like preparing sure. his body basically. I really don't think that they were like let's get Ethan Hawke in here and get uh, let's get these pussies wet before we. we I don't think it's. I don't think it's supposed to be on. like. I don't think it's supposed to be turned on, as yeah. in turned on, turned on. But he's not. It's there's a specific choice. They could have cast somebody ugly in that movie if they wanted us to be grossed out by him yeah. fully. 
but they wanted somebody with charisma, some sort of physical charisma yes. and charm because they want to draw you in and then feel dis- they want to play with the fact that you are drawn in and then you feel gross because you are drawn in okay, by this that's person. Fair. Because it's not like they introduce this person to us, that character to us in a way where he's like the boy next door. Like the first time we see him, he's like, you know, kidnapping a child. Right. Like, so just, they have to like do some things. other sort of subversion. But anyway, this is all to say that I thought that movie was fantastic. It's scary. Because the, the poster for that creeps me out so much as well as um, the... Um, specifically the scene where he kidnaps him where like he has like his lower face i think painted white and just has like the top of the mask the interchangeable masks portion of it is so cool it's also like it is a scary movie but it's definitely more like a coming of age story than anything else sure yeah i definitely yeah it was a lot less scary than i thought it was going to be it's also like 70 Um, minutes like it's really short yes which like famously I love a 70-minute movie. Um, Yeah, I was a lot... It was a lot different than I thought it was going to be. And I think that, like, the really good thing about some of these, like, Blumhouse movies Mm -hmm. and, like, these shoestring budget horror movies is the fact that they, like, they are one thing. They're not trying to be, like, the craziest thing you've ever seen. They're not trying to be, like, the most fucked up thing you've ever seen. It's just kind of, like here's a fun movie that's, like, doing one thing. And at the end of it, you're like, cool, that was a fun movie that was doing one thing. And, like, you don't have to, like, Nick had a really good point where it's not, you're not rushing to, like, Google to, like, type in, like, Black Phone Explained. Right, yeah. Like, it's not trying to do anything crazy like that, which I think is, like, refreshing. Yeah, I think, like, that that kind of goes, like, like you're saying, like, with the Bloomhouse model, because I just watched... I've talked about him on the show, but Dead Meat is a is a YouTube channel I, I really like in t- talk, that talks about horror movies. And he was he covered Truth or Dare, which was the Lucy Hale movie with the very scary smiles, mm-hmm. which reminds me of Smile coming out, which I do want to see because mm-hmm. um, it's gotten like it's weirdly, pretty good. Did you you watched it? I want to ask you more about it. Um, yeah, yeah um, but the Bloomhouse model is basically you're going to give filmmakers like a pretty small budget and just let them have at it. So like. Which is, I think, different than if you're looking at, like, because um, because from Bloomhouse, like, we've gotten, I think, like, Happy Death Day is Bloomhouse, like, and mm-hmm. then the Black Phone. We get a wide variety of stuff, and it's, in my mind, a lot of those movies are more effective than, like, the A24 horror movies. Um, because yeah. I think that they work, I think having that that limited budget um, works for them in in kind of placing themselves in fun places in the in the genre, because there's rarely a lot of Bloomhouse films that are just, this is a straight up like slasher torture porn gore. Um, it's, it's generally um, like working like horror comedy, horror mystery, horror coming of age. Like that's what, what's really fun about them too. They don't have yeah, to be I everything to everyone. Right. I think that the, I think if we're talking about like budget specific stuff i think the a24 and the blumhouse stuff i think we're talking about a very similar amount of money i think it's more so like the branding that each um like both of them have Mm -hmm. adopted for like the kinds of movies they want to make like one of my favorite blumhouse movies is uh freaky the one with like she switches bodies with like vince vaughn who's like a serial killer like so stupid um 
But, like, all of those, like, they have, like, an element of fun to them. Whereas, like, with the A24 ones, for the most part, they're trying to do, like, you know, because one of her, um, one of A24's first horror movies was Hereditary, which, like, they're trying to do a much more, like, uh, sort of, like, in your head, like, what's actually going on here. Like, X, which. I liked X a lot. I really didn't love. Oh, why didn't you like it? It just was just so boring. Like I was like, "What is like?" See, I, I disagree. Not... X was what I want out of a A twenty four horror movie in terms of the stylization. Like that's where that. And then I, I did not bodies, bodies, bodies. Ah, I have, I have issues with it. We don't have to talk about them. But like, what are your? No, no, no. I'm interested in your issues. Number with bodies, one, bodies, bodies. Because spoiler we alert about it for the next fifteen seconds. Why was Connor O'Malley the friend when he is about fifteen years older than everyone else? End of spoiler. I took that as like a, like the whole movie you're waiting for that guy to show up and for the people who they knew where they're going, were going to be their audience. It's just like a fun, like, oh my God, that's not what I thought was going to happen. I guess. I don't know. It just, there were, I had issues with it. Like I forget what, what those came out of, but like it, I mean, it was just kind of, um, it was like a sad kind of mean horror movie and that's okay sometimes. But what I liked about X is I think X genuinely had some sympathy for the villains, I think as expressed by like the fact that they, they wrote Pearl like in, um, in sync with it. Like, obviously if you're going to have a prequel about a villain, that villain has to have something a little bit likable or relatable about it. Um, and I also, I mean, you know that I'm a fan of like the seventies porn aesthetic. Like that's like, yeah, I think that's so fun. Um, and uh, and bodies, bodies, bodies. I forget what my actual com- complaints were with it. Um, I would have to go back. And you think thought about that it. there was too much cleavage. And yes, that it, was a, it was a ninety minute ad for the new Charlie X. Well, single. my I guess there was there wasn't a Charlie X uh, mic drop in it um, at all. There was, yeah. Where was it? At the end, at the the credits. That doesn't count as which a, is that doesn't so count as a needle that. drop. Because exactly, but it, that's what's so funny about that review. Yeah, because it doesn't. That doesn't like, count. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't happen. What, in what the happened movie, in yeah. Smile? Smile is like basically this girl is a doctor, and like <laughs> <Skip>. the whole <laughs> yeah unrealistic. Literally. The whole thing, yeah. The whole thing with Smile is that the girl, like, she has trauma in her past, mm-hmm. and. The, like, the people, I don't want to spoil the whole movie because, like, if I reveal, like, what the thing is, like, it's the whole thing Mm -hmm. from the movie. And I feel like a lot of people still haven't seen it. But it's a girl who's a doctor who basically has traumatic events in her past that then converge with, like, the trauma of what happens with these, like, smiling, like, demon people, essentially. Uh, It's really fun. Um, the main character is played by Sosie Bacon, who's Kevin Bacon's daughter. Oh, wow. Uh, who does a really good job. It's very fun. She was in, uh, she was the, the, uh, mom of Mayor's granddaughter and Mayor, grandson in Mayor of Easttown. Oh, yeah. Who was like, like getting like addiction treatment on and off throughout it. Um, and like who Mayor like plants the drugs on. She's a really good actress. It's very scary. Um, yeah. And, like, lately I felt like, I don't know, like, Halloween, I saw Halloween Ends, which I loved um, 
because it is so dumb. Yeah. Like, it is so dumb, but in not in a way that is bad. It's just very, like, it's a, in my opinion, it's a great ending of that series because, like, one, like, Jamie Lee Curtis is writing a memoir the entire time. Oh, God. Um, is it cheap? And so, like, half of it, uh, no. And, like, it's, like, really dark. And, like, half of it is, like, her doing voiceover, like, typing on a typewriter oh. of, like, what she's writing in her memoir about, like, the nature of evil, essentially. Uh, the ending of that movie, I just found to be so funny. Like, the last, like, five minutes and, like, the images that it leaves you on are just, like, very, very silly. Yeah. Michael Myers is, like, barely in it, which is, like, one of the best things. Yeah. Um, Like, it really is not, like, about Michael Myers, which I think is, like, a fun, fun take on that whole series. I don't know. I really loved it. And also, it um is, like, a straight-up 80-minute movie. Um, Did you, uh... I was just going to say, speaking of Kevin Bacon, did you see They, Them when it came out on Peacock? They slash them. They slash no, them. I, I did not. I did not. Nobody that nobody told me to watch it, well, so I never watched that, it. I think that was a good decision. Um, I see where they were going with it. Um, they're just... That movie um, really had the peacock stank to it, as I've as I've called it in the past. Of, really, of when it's like this movie could have been interesting and good, but instead it got shelled to Peacock, and Peacock is going through some issues right now. Um, well, I think has Peacock ever no they've been going through issues. I know, but but they didn't get to go to the NBC Universal route where that it might have had more of a fighting chance of being good. Resigning it to Peacock sure. basically says. Uh, we don't care about this this film anymore. And also, we're probably going to give you notes that make it worse. Um, but right. Kevin Bacon was interesting in that. Um, uh, there's there's just a character who acts as like a, a seductress throughout the whole thing um, who is uh, interesting uh, that I would be interested in you seeing. Um, yeah, I just don't. I like... I don't know if I'll, I don't know if I will get to it. I I mean, maybe, I don't know. I really only like to watch horror movies this time of year, unless like something crazy comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, but lately, I don't know. Lately I've been having a lot of fun and like, I've been, I've had a higher capacity for scare than I usually do. Yeah. What types of movies was, like genuinely like scare you? Like, um, well, I really like, I really don't like jump scares. Okay. Um, or I'm really only scared by jump scares okay. is what I will say. Um, and I really don't like, like, I'm trying to think of like the scariest, the movies I've like been the most scared by. Um, you know what? One of the scariest movies, I feel like I've said this on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. One of the scariest movies I feel like I've ever seen that like left me truly disturbed for a couple of days was Krampus. That with, is so like, funny. With Colette and Adam Scott. That is so yeah, funny. Because... I was devastated at the idea of Christmas being like scary, bastardized yeah. for these people. Like Christmas should be only fun and not scary. Like, but Krampus, like I threw up during a showing of Krampus. Yeah. It made me so scared oh because gosh. it was like, we should not be scared during Christmas. We should no. be happy during Christmas. I mean, like, yeah, Santa things like Santa, Halloween yeah. getting ruined. That's fine. Halloween getting ruined for Lori and the people of Haddonfield, Illinois, over and over again. I'm like, 
y'all like that this is what halloween is all about it's i would like just random children i would just get out of murdered. town just go to like la for a yeah. few days around halloween like truly like you know the yes. time of day time of year he's coming out well i think the thing that this movie did a really good job of about like because I always had the same yeah. thought process. It was just like, if you live in Haddonfield, you go. The, the The movie did a really good job of portraying the fact that the other townspeople, and this movie is all about townspeople. Good. Like, townspeople are They're the, the fifth girl in these movies. Yes, like, towns, it's all about capital T, capital P, townspeople. Um, the townspeople, we find out through kind of like the, and I believe this is like retconned, mm-hmm. but it's really good. I felt like it was a good and acceptable retcon. The townspeople blame Lori for the Michael Myers killings. Like Mm. they believe that the whole thing is like her provoking him. And if she wouldn't provoke this man, this crazy guy over and over again, that he wouldn't kill. And they believe the whole thing to be like a mortal conflict between Lori and Michael Myers. Uh, Like they believe all of Michael Myers' killing sprees have to do with With like- Essentially, like, yes, like, Lori provoking him to the point where he kills. So they're like, we're going to celebrate Halloween. Like, Lori, you bitch, you better not do anything crazy this year. Mm. Like, they don't think Michael Myers is coming here to indiscriminately kill us. They think if somebody gets killed, it's Lori's fault. Okay, that's interesting. That's like, yeah, uh, yeah because that's that makes more sense. And I, I do remember from the, the last... I haven't seen Halloween ends yet, but from the first two, they, everyone is like exasperated with Lori They're They are yeah. kind of like, it's kind of like when my grandma said to me about Leah Remini, um, she was, she was like, <laughs> boy, she, she sure talks a lot about Scientology. I mean, get something else. <laughs> Which, exactly. exactly. True. True. But that's, that's yeah. what my grandma would say about, about Lori Strode. I, I am scared generally by, Like, if something is sad and scary at the same time, that will stick with me. I think I've talked about, like, Battle Royale stuff really freaking me out. Like, the Belco experiment. I haven't even seen it. Um, Another one that I will probably never see, but that is is freaky to me, is... Have you heard of, like, Lake Mungo? Have you heard of that movie? No. It's, like, an Australian movie. Not a... I mean, it is a mockumentary, but it's, like, not funny. But, like, it's, like, essentially telling um the story of of um this family whose daughter died and like is she or is she not kind of haunting that the house oh that's too sad yeah and spoiler alert here for the next the next minute or so we've been like reviewing these these photos throughout the movie where we see her ghost and then the brother admits that he manipulated those to because to like help his parents like kind of get through it because his parents are so sad. Oh. But then we see the her ghost actually is in the in those pictures in a different place, but there's a really creepy scene where she on the beach like she's filming and she confronts a like bloated dead corpse of herself. It's very very scary. But ultimately it's yeah. sad. I mean, she's not a, a mean ghost. Like this is a girl who like we we end up learning was like um coerced by like their neighbors into like a threesome. Like she she's had like a tough uh. life. Stuff like that is sad. And then this is embarrassing, but I will say it because as kind of a, a token for me not finishing Insurgent. Um, if you know me, you know recently I've kind of been talking about scary production logos. This is something me and my brother have talked about a lot in the past. Just, you know, when you see a production logo for a movie before a movie and it scares you, which I would say upwards of 70% of production logos are scary. I think I find Bad Robots scary. I find THX scary. Um 
Oh, that's funny. When he like zooms THX back and is forth. scary. Yeah, th- and no, TJ- THX is definitely scary. Um, but then one that the other night gave me the same feeling as I did uh, reading and, and watching the scene from that this sad Australian mockumentary was. Do you know about Saint Elsewhere? Do you know about this TV show? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And that is the one that famously. I never knew this before I was reading about this show, but that at the end of the show, it's revealed to be a snow globe, like, and it's someone Mm -hmm. is holding it, like a little boy is holding it. That's where that trope came from. But um, it's Mary Tyler Moore was involved. It was her production company. So usually the the logo at the end would be like MTM. And instead of MGM, like they had like a little kitten and the kitten would be in scrubs. And, but at the end Aww. of, which was cute, but at the end of this finale of St. Elsewhere, they had, they have the kitten hooked up to a heartbeat machine and no. then it flatlines no. and it's really scary. What? Like it, it, that's so fucked and up. I think they were like, haha, it's funny because the series is ending. And then, I mean, the cat died like the same year cause it was 18 years old, but it's very like shocking and like scary to hear, see this cat like die on screen as you're hearing like this music, like it, it, it's really freaky. Um, do you have any experience with the scary production logos side of things? Are there any you can think of? Hi, I'm Paul well, from iCarly. Also freaked me out. Like the little. Hi, month. I'm Paul. Yeah. Hi, I'm Paul is from um is from Jimmy Neutron, right? Yeah, it's um, it's that Nick production that, company. That one is scary. THX is scary. Um, Pixar's kind of scary I, when he looks at you. I was just gonna say, yeah, yeah Pixar is scary because it's that feeling of being seen and, and being known, which is ultimately scary. It's it's the breaking of the fourth wall. It's something about the um, removal of most sounds. Most of the time, they do not have mm-hmm. like music in the back that makes them spooky. Yeah, it's it's eerie for sure. I I think it's the bigness of them too. Yeah. Like when you see them in a movie theater, like it's like that. Like letters shouldn't be that big, and like the way like the sort of THX one, the music swells yeah. in concert with the bigness of the letters is is very distressing. Yeah. Um. There's the uh, the like uh, AMC I mean, intros they had for a few years of these like little red balls. There was like one where it would play around Halloween. Yeah. And then what is always scary to me, and I understand it's not an intentionally scary phrase, but the report suspicious activity phrase always like really freaks yes. me out. So there's a so Nick and I go to like a there's like this local like movie theater owner uh-huh. who owns two movie theaters in town. One is um uh, one is uh, Studio Thirty Five in Clintonville, and the other one is the Grandview Movie, movie mm-hmm. Theater. And they have their they have their own like locally produced pre roll, yeah. and it's called Mister Pickles Wild Ride. Um, <laughs> Nick hates it because they I always sing along with it um, because it's like like and it's an animation of like a character they have called Mister Pickle who like they have sitting in the box office out front yeah. like a like a felt version of him, and he's riding around town and he's like. Um, you know, like going to like various spots in Columbus. And then finally, like, it's like an animation of him pulling up outside the movie theater. Uh, And there's like a, uh, like, first things first, when you sit down, check the exits all around. It (laughs) might come into handy in case you have to up and leave this place. Oh my god! And like, that always kind of freaks me out because I'm like, what would happen that would make me have to up and leave this place? Well, I think we both know what would happen and I don't want to say it. Well, we both know. The thing we always think about we both yeah. know, but then Mr. Pickle offers us a little salve. Yeah. Where because he knows what we're thinking. Right. He says, you know, he says, 
Or if your mom calls. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you're like, oh, that's why I would have to up and leave this place because my mom would call, not be because I was being bleep, bleep, bleep in the head. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, like, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, anyway, speaking of scary shit, yeah. let's, let's talk about this book. Get on to. Um, here's the number one thing I'll say about this book. I already talked about the names. Did you notice how much they were hammering home how small and tiny and delicate Triss is and how short she is this entire book? So much so that she's giving the wrong dose of medication because she can't handle it. She can't handle it. She's so tiny. So that was, that concept kind of, it appeared a little bit in the previous Mm -hmm. book. They just really hammered it home in this one, I felt. Yeah, well, because there was a lot of, a lot of this book was intent on sort of filling space. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of space that needed to be filled it's the in this slump. because It's the slump in the middle. Like, if we already know, yeah. this is kind of why, and not to, uh, sorry to be like Hunger Games head again, but like Hunger Games, the revolution doesn't happen till um, the end of the second book. Oh, and sorry to whatever random Twitter user that said, <laughs> he said, spoilers for book three of the Hunger Games, ridiculous. Uh, sorry, sir. So this brings me to, so you sent, like, we, obviously we both saw that tweet and somebody respond, like said to us, this brings me to a big question that I have, Uh which is like, we have a lot, you know, I won't say any exact numbers, but we have a lot of listeners Uh and more listener brag. Uh, (laughs) we have more listeners than you would think based on our social media followers. So like, there's a lot of listeners who like, just like, don't like who must regularly listen to like, I would say fair. Cause like, I don't interact with a lot of podcasts on Twitter, even if I listen on social media, but it makes me wonder, like, because we have a certain set of listeners, like there's probably about a hundred of you, like the hundred or so of you that are in our discord. Yeah. Um, are people like, I'm all pretty aware of, y'all as listeners to the podcast you know like you talk in our discord Mm -hmm. you respond to like instagram stories and stuff like i'm like like most of the people in our discord like i recognize by name Mm -hmm. and i sort of i have an association with them as a listener to the podcast a lot of the folks who regularly interact with us on social media are either like internet friends Mm -hmm. or real life friends so whenever we get a tweet like that, where it's like, clearly this person has listened to the entire episode of the podcast, but I've never thought of their existence before, it really trips me out existentially because I'm yeah. like, oh my God. And it reminds me how many people actually listen to us where I'm like, who is this person that accessed the podcast and like somehow is worried? Like, how do we have a listener? And like, no hate to this yeah. person. I'm sorry that we spoiled the book for you. But it's wild to me that we have a listener out there who literally like doesn't like know what happens in, well, in the Hunger Games. I think books. it's like, and okay, listener, correct me if you're. I don't think it was a frequent listener. I think it was someone who just wanted to listen to something about the Hunger Games. Because when I clicked on the profile, okay. it reminded like it was a lot of like UK like football stuff. Like, that was it. So that makes me assume (laughs) that this is not someone who frequently listens to us. Um, Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, let us know, like, if we need to be, like, more cognizant with the spoiler stuff. I don't think about it because I I I feel like assume, like, coming in. I also feel like for books, I do feel like it's different. I feel like it's different for books. This is what I have to say. I, like, I, if there's a movie, like, Smile, I didn't want to talk about the main bit behind Smile because it's still in theaters. A lot of people (laughs) haven't seen it. Spoiler, it's not all smiles, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Yeah, if you know what I mean. Um, Those smiles, honey, they're hiding 
deep, deep mm-hmm. trauma behind them, like a beautiful, beautiful lady. Um, I will never, uh, this is not, if you are worried about getting spoiled on books that came out 10 years ago, that does not feel like my responsibility. No. I apologize, but do not come to this podcast for spoiler warnings. No, um, especially because anyway. we might read the Hunger. We might read the Hunger Games, but certainly I don't know if we're going to read uh, Allegiant, um, even though you started no. it. Okay, like let's like set our listeners straight on where the last Divergent ended because that basically it. Whoa, the, I know, I know, but the Arudite. <laughs> that's a that's a tall task. Yes. The erudite, erudite, whatever, they were, um, they had basically tried to take over the entire um, place, the entire five factions, and they had started with abnegation and essentially like mass executing everyone in this faction. And it is a good system and it just, it should still exist. Um, uh, Like um, as, as Tris thinks, because, you know, obviously when your system is working, that's when you have. Um, this type of um, mass government ordered execution, right? Um, and both of Triss's parents died. They were both abnegation leaders and they are going and taking her and some other people are going and taking refuge in Amity, which is the nice faction, which I think that generally in terms of like where I feel politically on the aptitude test, I would probably end up in Amity because it just seems like a commune. But they are, it's come down on hard in this because they're basically like, oh, so yeah. by being nice, that means you never take any sides. It's like, that's not necessarily what, what happens in, in their, their faction. Also, they're like really mean about this one woman who like has a scar and has her eye removed. And Tris is like, she could have been really beautiful if it wasn't for that scar. Like, damn. Yes, that's like one of the first things they say in this book. Yeah. Being like, damn, I thought about how beautiful she could have been because of this scar. I just, okay, I have to say, mm-hmm. so like this book begins, as you said, in media res, mm-hmm. like middle of, uh, middle of like seemingly something that has happened immediately after Divergent takes place. Mm-hmm. I read probably the first, like, first of all, there's like 50 chapters yes. in this book, which is like, at that point, don't break things up into chapters. Right. It's as simple as that. Like, I don't know if that's something like a note you get from your publisher when you're writing for young adults, that things need to be like broken shorter up into chapters. chapters. I wonder if it's so like it a doesn't... teacher can assign it. Yeah, maybe. But I mean, I mean no teacher is assigning insurgent. Um, yeah, if you are, you're like a bad teacher and you're like, you're just trying to like, I don't know, run up the clock, I think. Yeah, it's kind of the um, goosebumps style thing, right? Because like some of these will be like a little bit like, you know, in Goosebumps when it's like, and then the monster grabbed my my hand. Oh, it was just Sean. my dad. Like, uh, yeah. it kind of has that sort of like, oh, every chapter is going to like end with a little like, you know, push basically, even if it's not like in relation to the next chapter. Like stuff is, stuff doesn't need to be broken up that way. We don't need that space in between. No. So I had to go back and read a whole summary of Divergent mm-hmm. to, like, understand what was happening. And the conclusion that I came to was it seemed as if she wrote Divergent, like, thinking that there was a greater possibility than not that that would be the only book that yeah. she wrote. Like, that book is a full—I forgot that, like, the faction system essentially falls apart yes. in Divergent. Yes. Like, 
Whereas, like, with the Hunger Games, like, we get hints of a revolution. And, like, once again, not to keep going back to the Hunger Games, but in the Hunger Games, we get hints of a revolution Mm -hmm. and, like, something starting at the end of that book. In this, in Divergent, it's basically, like, the first half is basic, like, we're in the new faction. You're training in your new faction. You're eating a hamburger for the first time. Yeah, you're getting a tattoo. You're changing your name. You're cutting your hair, whatever. This one, like, uh, and then the second half is, like, now there's a revolution. Now those factions that you speak of, like, don't exist in the same form Mm -hmm. that they did at the beginning of the book. Now the factions are at war. This has never happened before. How do we deal with this? And then it kind of, you know, ends. And then at this book, the top of the book is, like, your parents are, she overhears that everybody in Abnegation is dead, essentially. Like, She's not, she doesn't discover it. It's a very, like, weird show-don't-tell choice because it's, like, she's, like, I overhear, essentially, that my parents have died. And yeah. I just kind of have to, like, deal with that situation. Yeah. Um. And then it's, like, the whole thing, it's very confusing because none of the rules that we were taught, the rules that we were taught in the previous book are deconstructed in this book and, or in the, also in that book. Mm-hmm. So by the time we get to this book, there are no rules. Right. And it doesn't even, you know, obviously becomes important and like, uh, you know, like woven into the novel. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't even really feel that important at the beginning of this novel that she and uh, Tobias slash four are divergent, which was kind of the whole point of the first novel. Exactly. And then the other big reveal that we kind of get throughout this book is that divergent is like, it seems like, one out of three people in every room is divergent. It's, it's Everybody's really, divergent. It's really co- quite common. Um, and the the whole thing with her and Tobias, like, there's kind of some quasi-sex scenes in this book. Um, we're getting yeah. to second base a little bit. But Tobias is, like, really, for someone, like, who he knows that his, essentially his girlfriend's parents have both just died, and, and she actually witnessed both of those deaths. Um, like, he is kind of mean to her and he keeps being like you're a stupid bitch for like everything she does uh because she gets in a fight with peter who of course is played by miles teller in the movie um because he and again the whole simulation thing i was like what like they took the hard drive that contains the simulation on it and then peter steals that and um and Tris is like give it back and then he doesn't and then so they have a fist fight and then they're asked to leave this was also when they were like, oh, you're injected with drugs leave. that make you happy. Yeah. Which I'm like, okay, so is this weed? Is this like, you know, are you making a comment on like medication in general? I don't know. Did you feel like like that? Like there was like kind of like a sneer towards Amity in that value when ultimately like it does seem like the value is like uh, sharing and like equity, which I would agree with as a value. Well, look, I think that I think that there's multiple things happening. I think that um yes, there absolutely is a sneer toward that value. Mm-hmm. There's a sneer toward all values that aren't dauntless. dauntless. And maybe that's a maybe that's a um, you know, like character a character flaw. decision yeah. because yeah, because she's chosen to be in dauntless and she's a teenager and therefore she has this sneer, but I think the political, I have a really hard time. I think that the political implication is, yes, like, you have to take drugs if you're going to be, like, docile and happy, like, these people. Yeah, like, 
uh, you know, these people, like, they're not, they look happy from the outside, but it's all fake. It's all constructed. I think that's definitely what's being conveyed, but I don't think it's actually as sinister as it would be in other books, mm-hmm. because I think that uh, the person who wrote this is dumb and didn't actually, like, probably doesn't even hold those beliefs. Yeah. It, like, I think it's more so of just, like, Character a, differences. Like, well, I don't even know if there's not a lot of drafting of this onto our current society. I mean, the way that I guess you could kind of do it is like if we're if we're talking about and I this would not represent the current Republican Party or any Republican Party, really. But when people are like, you can be socially liberal and fiscally conservative, even though we know that's kind of a myth, like the erudite would be like the people who are like, well, we have to cut this, but this because it makes sense for the budget, basically. Um, but, but there's like, no, like, like you would think that there'd be more of a grafting onto like, how do these factions represent like ideologies in essentially American society? And they really don't. It's like, are you smart? It's like Harry Potter rules, which, which again, like, you know, in Harry Potter world, that doesn't super make sense. Um, but it's more of like, who are you going to hang out with? Like kind of what portion of the school you're going to be. It's not like they go off and they are like, I'm a Gryffindor for the rest of my life because there's other, that's just a school, right? That's not the whole society. Right. Well, the other thing too, about the house system in Harry Potter is that it, it mirrors like, like a lot of, you know, everybody in the upper crust and obviously I don't mean everybody, but you know, generally the people in upper crust Britain, um, send their children to boarding school right. and boarding schools have houses right. yeah. that, you know, all have some sort of reputation. Mm-hmm. You know, it has a grounding in reality that makes it, and then it's, it's, fa- it's fantasticized by, you know, the element of the sorting mm-hmm. hat and like the sort of like personality quiz part of it. Like this is just like the first thing it's the same thing with fucking Matched and, like, uh, Maze Runner and shit where it's, like, it's – the idea was what if everybody is divided in a particular way mm-hmm. and then, um, like, working backwards from there. Yeah. And be like, wouldn't this be crazy well, rather than actually having roots in anything that we can identify? Because I think that's interesting because at least in my experience, I feel like the ultimate teen fantasy is someone – kind of telling you what you are, honestly. Like, it's like, you are this, you are, this is exactly where you fall in society. You don't have to question this anymore. Um, Like, that's why I do think these appeal to books, because obviously, like, especially when you're a teen, there is a grafting of yourself onto the characters, and you think, which one would I be? Which, you know, house, which faction, which um, whatever would I be? Um, However, it's like, I, I, it just wasn't thought through all the way. And so I, I agree with what you're saying of like it, this, the standalone novel of Divergent did not prepare us for what this world would be, which also like is geographically hard to understand. Like, it seems like there, like there's a lot of like moving in between, like they go from Amity to Candor and then they visit the Erudite, like a lot of just like moving in, in this world, which we know is Chicago, but I don't really have a good idea of like, is it like going to Lincoln Park to like Bucktown? Like, you know, what is it? Yeah, I looked up like while I was reading this, I looked up sort of like a like a map mm-hmm. of like what they would like what it would be. And like abnegation like lives like in the suburbs essentially. Okay. Um, like the near suburbs. Um they're they're at the Woodfield uh, Mall. 
They're at Ikea. Yes. Yeah, they're, like, at, like, Old Orchard, yeah. like, walking around. Old Orchard kind of they... rocks, I have to say. Oh, I fucking love Old Orchard. Yeah. Are you serious? I went there all the time during, like, like when things were starting to open up um, post-quarantine because it's, like, it's outdoors. Right. So I would just, like, walk Get through, an like, the outdoor yeah. part. Yeah, and just kind of, like, sit there and be like, this is what it would be like to be at the mall. Yeah. Uh, and, like, you know, nobody was there. Old Orchard Rocks, they have a really good cheesecake factory. Um, and they they also have a lot of really good stores. Um, they got an Aritzia there. An Aritzia across from there. an Airy. Where else can you say yes. that about? Hmm. In Cincinnati, right. Aries across from a Spencer's Gifts, so. Uh, I will say in Columbus, we have... An airy across from Renoritzia at Easton. Oh, well, lucky you. Easton is great. I'll proselytize about Easton anytime. It's very similar to Old Orchard. Nice. It's like outdoor vibe. Uh, an outdoor mall um, is good. Yeah, if you can smoke a cigarette while still being in the mall, that's <laughs> that says something. What? Why would you go anywhere else? Yeah. Um. So okay. So, uh, they're like out in the suburbs. The erudite are like in like sort of. South Loop ish, they're like, like by Grant Park. Yeah, they're by Cloudgate. Like exactly, yeah, yeah because they have the bean. Yeah, they, they own Erudite the bean. has seized control of the bean, <laughs> which is very funny. It'd be cool if they like lived um, in the bean. I mean, I know there's too many people, but like, wouldn't that be fun if they hollered out the bean and, and they like all they were like stack themselves up in the bean? Yeah, like yeah. sardines. Um, who else? Uh, Amity. I forget where they said they live. Because again, then now as we're talking about like the the graphing, the geo, the the mapping of Chicago, which is of course a city that is highly segregated. Like again, that makes me start to think again. Like, okay, you really didn't fully think this out. Like, why choose Chicago? No. Like, who's who's in the South Side? Like, that's going to say something. Who? Yeah, or who's in the suburbs? Right. Like, this is all going to say something about the people there. Um, right. And again, it's the thing that I complained about. Like. I feel like we we do get like racism in the Hunger Games. Like we get like like implied oh, yeah. racism. That's not something that we have gotten in. We didn't get that in Maze Runner. We don't get this in this book. And that always just to me is and I understand because like, you know, this was I think before like kind of the maybe maybe white authors had a little more awareness of like that race was something they could consider at all. Like it, that it was maybe Either they weren't thinking about it, A, or if they did think about it, they're like, I better not touch this at all versus like, you know, whatever. But it's like, this is such an odd city to set it in when it is so highly segregated. And then you're telling us that these factions are, are, their parts of the cities are segregated as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, Okay. So I just want to like, I want to breeze through basically what happened. Yeah, you tell me. Really fast. Um, Okay. So sorry, I'm just looking at my notes. Um... So the whole book essentially is Triss and four slash Tobias and their little cabal of of former Dauntless slash family members mm-hmm. uh, are like all fugitives. And the reason that they're fugitives is because like Erudite has essentially seized control of the city and like really wants to like execute divergent people. Mm-hmm. And like that's really it. Um so the whole thing is, like, them bouncing from, like, faction-controlled land to faction-controlled land and, like, then, like, running away. And that's what makes this book so hard to follow. Mm-hmm. Like, every 10 pages, I forgot where we were and I forgot why it And there mattered. was, like, a battle every 10 um, pages. 
Exactly. That's the thing is like this book was written like a Marvel movie. Yes. Like it's like it's and all that is around this like, battle. Yeah. No. It's that's all around these like, battle centerpieces. I like I don't yes. I guess I don't hate every Marvel movie, but the Marvel movies that I enjoy, there is not a battle every ten minutes. And like battles that take themselves really seriously, where there are lots of moving parts, like that's never a set piece I look forward to in any movie. No. Yeah, so um like they get into a fight at Amity, so like they're like not allowed to be there anymore because it's like a no fighting zone. Right. <laughs> um which is, you know, like that's what's so infuriating about this is like there's no like no society would actually ever operate like that. No, like, you that's can't like, doesn't fight, make like, any sense. Also, yeah. it's like I I would think like if we're applying those values like that they have shown it would be like okay, like we're going to have a mediation now. Like, it wouldn't be, like, yes, you're kicked exactly. out because you fought. Like, it, it doesn't seem like right. that's the deal. Right, it wouldn't be like, all right, like, get I the bitch, fuck out yeah. of here. Um, so there's a thing where, like, she, like you referenced when you took your pills at the beginning of mm-hmm. the podcast, she takes truth serum uh, because she shows up at Candor. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, she shows up at Candor. She takes his truth serum. They're, like, um, they ask her... Like something about she killed her friend Will, yeah, because he was possessed. This was something I did appreciate because I I did like that there was commentary because we were like, well, why? Like she just shot him in the chest. Why would she not shoot him in the foot to just like you know stop him? And that's something she's thinking. Yeah. She's like, why didn't I do this? Why was my split yes. second thing to kill him? But like I yeah. wouldn't do that to, to like four. I sh- could have shot his hand. Yeah, yeah so but I, I, I liked that do it to someone else. I was yeah. glad that was addressed. I did too, but I also thought that. uh I also hated this whole book, so I, I, uh, you know, small, small little yeah. tokens. Um, but basically, all of like her former uh, friends get mad at her, finding out that she killed their other friend, um, and so they don't like that. Then, um, basically, this simulation. There's so many different simulations. I don't know if this was the same simulation they were carrying on a hard drive. Is this the one they put in their simulation like, finger and she like rips it out? Yeah. Yeah. Like the simulation essentially like starts to get activated by this la- the lady who's the head of the erudite, Janine, who is famously played in the movies by Kate Winslet. And that's to weed out um, the divergence because divergence don't fall under simulations, which that's interesting because we get so much increased attention on Triss in the first book for like yeah, like she sh- can't be suspicious in the simulations, even though she's like awake and uh, essentially like lucid during them. Like she can lucid dream them versus yeah. just feel like that's her reality. Um, and that's nothing. And apparently, there were like several people that were that had that experience. Like Araya, we yeah. learn he was a uh, someone in it. Like there's like there was probably like you know like a third of of that incoming class were were divergent and struggled with that. Yeah, so the simulations start to get activated and, like, people are doing, like, war-like things under <laughs> the simulation. They're doing hashtag um, war It's things. all very unclear. Yeah. Yeah, it's all very unclear because it's, like, like we said, like, every 10 pages there's some kind of battle. Yeah. Um, but essentially, like, they, like, decide to sort of, like, try to, like, revolt and like kill Janine mm-hmm. which like I think that's maybe the plan all along I do not know like it's so unclear why like because it seems like at the beginning of this book we're introduced to people who have been like doing this work of trying to like reform the faction yeah. system for a really long time I don't know why Triss and Four suddenly become the heads of the whole yeah. situation because like, it doesn't make a lot of sense tr- 
I think, yeah, I don't get it either. And then I, the whole deal with like Four's mom, like Four hates his mom because, and they held a fake funeral for her, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. I guess to save face because his dad was so high up. Like, like um, Four hates his mom because he didn't take him with her when he left his dad because his dad is abusive. However, his dad is also like working with them this whole time. Like, yeah. Marcus is a big He's character. like one of their main He's people. divergent. Marcus yeah. is divergent. Yes. Yeah. Um, so then they're like, uh, they're like, we're just going to like attack the erudite compound basically Mm -hmm. and try to take out as many people as they can. So they kill Janine. Somebody named, uh, I believe it's Tori. Mm -hmm. Who that is? Beats us. Beats us. Tori kills Janine. Okay. All, that's all I've written down. Tori kills Janine. Um, then, um, basically, they decide, like, then they learn that the nature of this whole movement has been to actually eliminate all factions. So this is, like, where they, where it comes into play that Triss and Four, it's unclear what their objective was. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, I thought throughout the whole book, the whole point was the elimination of the factions, which is why they're, like, waging this but war. But now it's saying that, like, but that was what, Janine's goal, too. Yes, like, they find out essentially that it's everyone's goal to eliminate the factions, and they're like, this is bad. So, and that's how the book ends. Yeah. Basically being like, like, what is going on? This, like, I, I mean, like, I... I'm I, just going to pull up the Legion, and let's, let's see what happens in it. I don't care, if I'm being honest. Like, I don't know if that's... A, let's Instead of talking about what happens in a Legion... Let's talk about sort of general. Wait, I, no, I want to. I want to look at it because I. I do think that that's going to like give us like a little bit of insight, like just in broad strokes, um, like what the what the end of that is. Because I am like, what is the general like moral thrust? Well, I know. I mean, I can tell you. Like Tris dies essentially. Oh, she like, yeah, she jumps off a building, and that's the other thing is there's a lot of like repeated. Like, it's very sort of heavy-handed, like, um, suggestion Mm -hmm. and foreshadowing. She, because, like, a lot of people jump off the, uh, jump off the building, jump off the building, jump off buildings in this, like, whether under simulation or, like, to genuinely commit suicide. Um, she jumps off the building, a building, (laughs) I keep saying, like, Wendy Williams saying the killer. Um, (laughs) she jumps off a building and dies to kind of sacrifice herself as, um, like, a, uh, like, symbol of the revolution. Mm-hmm. And then, like, it just kind of ends. Yeah, It's very, That's it's not good. very poorly, poorly constructed. Um, which I think, I think that the, I personally think if you were to ask me what the main takeaway from Dystopia Month is, is that. Oh, yeah, this is our last um, book. Shit. Yeah. Wow. Is that if you don't have, like, most of these books now that we've read are constructed with this idea of, like, what if this thing were the underpinnings of our society? Like, what if our society what if looked made like you this thing? Yes. And, in, like, and work backwards from that. Rather than being like, I want to think about this idea. Mm-hmm. And working forward. Yes. And I think that even though and that's it just doesn't and I'll show up about this after this and we'll show up about it. But the Hunger Games, 
she came into that being like, I want to write about essentially like um, just war theory, right? Like she she yes. came into that with, instead of being like, well, what if people were divided? What if people found their partner? How can I make this evil somehow? Right. Um, yeah, like how can I take something and like make it extreme, make it evil? It's like, what if we took sort of the natural divisions that we fall into society based on like class, geographic interest, location, race, geographic location, whatever. Yeah. And I heightened it into what if you got sorted based on like what you were like, what your basic personality traits were. I also like, and then what if there were people who didn't fit into that? Yeah. Like from, um, so we read, so what was other than matched this Cinder Hunger Games? What was the other one we read? Maze Runner. Maze, Maze Runner. Runner. So the ones that failed that were the worst, Maze Runner, um, Insurgent, um, at least from the 50 pages or the half of it that I read, um, and then matched, followed that. And then I would say that like Cinder did succeed. And I would say, even though it like wasn't our favorite, just because of our personal taste, it succeeded because it wasn't, it wasn't that elevated. I would even, it, it wasn't even that much of a dystopia in, in that it was just kind of elevated science fiction stuff that pretty much mirrored some of the injustices that we currently have in our society. Of course, there's like the moon thing in it and stuff, but it wasn't like people. The moon thing. Yeah. And I also like liked that there was like some question about like, well, we don't trust our government in this way. We don't trust them in this way. Sometimes in these books, it's like an undying um, subservience to government and faith in government. And I think that right. we can pretty much broadly say like across like any political ideology in America, like that. You're, you're never going to be like, I love, I love the government. And I think everything they're doing is exactly how I would do it. Right. Like, or I, I trust that they're in my best interests. Like, I think that that's kind of rare to find someone who's like on a state level, on a local level, on a federal level level. I'm super happy with what our government is doing. Um, yeah. But I think a lot of these were written in a different time, yeah. like the Obama era when people were by and large, more trusting of the government. Yeah. like. Either, you know, like, because they didn't think about it probably as much in a a pre-Trump. I feel like probably less attention was paid paid from your average person. If you are a Democrat and you're um, if you're in the party that is in control, they probably you probably paid a little less attention than if, you know, you're the opposite party is in control. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a combination of things. I think it's um, paying attention Paying attention to our government often directly corresponds with, like, people's um, ability to make money, ability to mm-hmm. make to have jobs and stuff. So, like, higher, like, higher economic, um, lower economic um, inequality. Like, you know, since, like, 19, like, 80 or whatever Mm -hmm. economic inequality like has just been exponentializing like year after year. So like, I think people were more sort of docile in those times. One, because like the imaging of what we were getting from like politics on a national stage was that like things were getting better. And like also people like um, rates of unemployment were lower, you know, like we had the 2008 recession, Mm -hmm. but like before that people by and large were, 
like there was less of a widespread sort of movement around economic inequality than there is now. I think that also um, we have way more access to information now than we did even 15 years ago. Also, like, Um, not that there wasn't, like, dissenters or people who thought that our government's, I mean, obviously there are people who who thought our government's reaction to to 9-11 and how that all played out was bad, but there probably was kind of an elevated interest in national security and nationalism in oh, that totally. way post 9-11 that, that makes more sense because it's like, oh, like that was something that, you know, quote unquote, all Americans could, could get together behind of like, we need to protect America essentially versus right. now it's like, you know, and, you know, we, we have seen how national tragedies uh, divide us, you know, in, in a larger scale versus, you know, not that it was, I think, genuinely yeah. bringing people together, but but that was kind of the vibe. And I think that there still is a lot of, you know, there's widespread, obviously, sort of distrust of the government on a certain level mm-hmm. um, with, you know, this idea, like, coming from coming from far-right groups, but also you know, different sides of the political spectrum, I don't think are totally like blameless in this, but like just this idea of like, you know, conspiracy within the government. But I also think too, that like, there is a lot of implicit trust in our government still that we don't necessarily even consider. Like most Americans don't have any idea how our judiciary system works, like none. Like I think that um, a really good example is the way that folks have reacted to the um, the decisions coming out of the Supreme Court this summer, like Dobbs, like yeah. Bruin, which was the case that um, basically said that, like, we can't regulate, like, states cannot regulate guns whatsoever within or without of the home. Like, people, the way people reacted to those, like really showed that people like fundamentally just like don't understand how not just our federal courts, but like our state mm-hmm. courts and everything work because it is, it's impossible to understand unless you do what I do, which right. is like get a degree in it. Like it's like, it doesn't make any sense. I didn't know any of the difference between state and federal court. Like before I started law mm-hmm. school, um, we don't know how our elections work. Yeah. People just fundamentally do not understand how our electoral system works. And so I think that in some ways these dystopian, like whereas like these dystopian novels, they portray dystopia, but they all portray societies that are like much more simple on their faces than ours are. Mm-hmm. Like our society is so complicated that if we want to get to the base of the issues that we feel are dystopian in our lives, the idea of changing them is a much bigger undertaking than like what these characters do, which is be like, I'm divergent. Let's go blow up area. Yeah. Like, and we in, don't in really our, have the option of doing that. In our system, if you're divergent, that's being a moderate voter. So moderate. I don't think so. No, I know. I'm joking. I'm joking because that's like, <laughs> uh-huh. but like, I actually, I can see from both sides. Uh, if you're a Ken, Ken Dong, what was his name? Ken, Ken, oh, Ken, Ken, yeah, what was his name? Ken Bone. Ken Bone, Ken Bone. Ken Bone is kind of the closest <laughs> proximum that we have to to a divergent person, you know. So <laughs> an, an, an undecided voter, an undecided unregistered yeah. party voter. That's that's yeah. that's our divergent, and and we should be bowing down to them. Yeah, I think everybody probably politically sees themselves as divergent from like the guy who like lives 
totally like off the grid and like is a prepper in North Dakota yeah. and like spends his time like terrorizing. If you're like a sovereign, like, if you think you're a sovereign <laughs> citizen or whatever, that I mean that is divergent. Yeah. You're like no the, the did you watch any of the speaking of and I know I just talked about the peacock stank, but the documentary that was um on kind of it followed like people who participated in the insurrection or in any big kind of covid yeah. whatever after it um uh but there was this one woman who participated in the insurrection she was being you know taken to court about it and then her advisor was like you just have to say you're a sovereign citizen and then you won't have to do yeah. anything and of course it failed like of course like well, that so- was her advice like yeah so actually this um there's a guy on trial for murder right now because he drove a van into uh, a crowd of people at some protest, I believe, in Colorado. Mm-hmm. It's it's impossible these days to even identify who, who the guy— drove a van well, into— what, Yeah, what, what protest, van yeah. into what protest because it happens so fucking often. Yeah. But this guy—and, like, several people were killed, and he's on trial right now. It's a capital case. He, I be, I'm pretty sure—I don't want to speak out of turn, but— I don't know why I would have been speaking about it in the context I was speaking about if it wasn't a capital case. Uh, he's representing himself. Mm-hmm. Oh, guys, if you get, I mean, like, if you get accused of taking a candy bar, like, call a lawyer immediately. Yeah. Never represent yourself in anything. That's how you know a person's crazy. He um, is claiming his theory is that there is no, the court has no jurisdiction over him because he's a sovereign citizen. And so if you go look, I forget his name and I I don't want to say it also because it's like, I don't want to give him more attention, but there are videos like the trial is being, you know, sort of broadcasted. And, uh, he literally, I mean, like that's his legal theory. It's like the, he's like my government name. Like I don't, I don't identify as that person, Mm. like, because I am a sovereign citizen, like I rise above. And it's also just like, well, then if you're not a citizen, then you don't have the protections of United States citizenship. So, like— You can't be here, basically. Then, Well, it's not even just you can't be here. It's like you're not even necessarily in a lot of ways, like, Protected. entitled to anything under the law. Yeah. So, like— you know, you don't even necessarily, like, you don't even, it's, I mean, like, I won't get into it, but it, it's very funny, but it's also disturbing that people yeah. are able to spread these things. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, to end on a lighter note, speaking of factions, I did finish Survivor Redemption Island. Um, I okay. think someone in our Discord was like, that season sucks because of something that happens at the end. I assume that they're talking about how David proposed to, like, that one random woman during the reunion, um, oh, which they yeah. of course did not get to that. Like that woman did not want to be proposed to. Um, no, of course not. I loved it. Sorry. Yeah. I love that. And, but I also am a Philip head. I, Oh, 100%. I, and I have to say too, that like it, it was like, I, I enjoyed it because I'd never seen Boston Rob before. So like seeing someone have that much control of the game was interesting, but it was a little infuriating because you know, he's going to win the entire time because everyone around him is so sycophantic. Like, I don't know why Natalie thought that she would get any votes at all. Like, that was that was shocking to me. But that's something that I like. That's something that I like about that show because it really allows you to get inside people's psychology mm-hmm. into how they think that they're carrying themselves. Right. And my theory on those people, like, those people that, like, don't do anything on the show the whole time and that at the end, you know, make it to the end as a goat and then you're, like— like, and then they're surprised they don't get any vote. 
my theory is a couple things. One, it's edited. We only see, you know, like so much of like what happens on the show. We did, we two, did see Natalie do feel, really bad in challenges again and again, though. That's what I will say. Yes. Yeah. I will say, no, 100, I totally agree. Yeah. I'm just like, I think, and two, this is the big one mm-hmm. that what I think is absolutely true. By the time you get to the end of 39 days on that island and you haven't eaten, it feels like such a Herculean accomplishment that you're like, surely I must be rewarded for surviving. Like, surely people must see the fact that I slept outside for 39 days and punt something my way. Right, exactly. Like, I don't think at that point you're thinking of, you're like, I made it to the end. You guys didn't make it to the end. I was outside not eating for 39 days. I must be entitled to at least some some recognition of my effort. Because the thing Natalie keeps saying over and over again, I mean, she neither neither her nor Philip have any um, thing that 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 promotes themselves um, or or makes people consider them as winner. Basically, they both just say Boston Rob did it. I did it because I, I aligned myself with him, especially Natalie. But she also says again and again, she's like, "Well, I'd never been camping before, and I did this." And of course, well, I'm watching. Exactly. I'm like Natalie, like you're so dumb. Like, why did you think like this would work at all? Like, clearly, everyone's going to be even probably more pissed at you than Rob because you were also lazy at camp and you were bad at challenges. But then it's also like I've never gone camping either, and so like I do have to commend her for that. So like if I was in the jury, like I yeah. might still throw her, but because Boston Rob's been camping before, Philip was a federal agent; he's yeah. probably been camping before. Yeah, she didn't. So maybe I would have. I for will her. say that also she at that time was the youngest person she was who like would ever play. Yeah, yeah, she was eighteen. She oh had no gosh. idea. I mean, like she had just graduated high school when she was on wow. that show. So she like. Her stupidity, in my in my opinion, is very excusable because yeah. like, if I had been outside for forty days at nineteen or at eighteen, I would absolutely be like, "You guys didn't see that? I was doing it the whole yeah. time. I was being outside for forty <laughs> days. Like, what about this? Doesn't make any sense to yeah, you?" Yeah, exactly. And also, like, you know, you you pair up with a guy like Rob, who's like essentially your father's age yeah. at that point. You're like, what could he possibly be doing? Like, he's irrelevant to me. I'm outside. Right. Like, exactly. Yeah, I did think yeah, it was dumb just, how people were like, you were creepy towards Robbie. It was like, no, that wasn't it at all. It's just that, like, and uh, Julie did come down pretty hard on on Natalie, and I, I didn't like Ashley, but um, uh, but came down on Natalie of being like, oh, you, you just, like, were manipulated by this guy. And I'm like, she was being mean about it, but I'm like, that is kind of true. Like, I would love to see a female Boston Rob. Yeah, of course. A, a, a Boston Roberta, if you would. I would love to see someone. But that would never work. I know, because that's that's the thing. You couldn't do the Boston Rob strategy unless unless you're you're a guy. So um, right. and you also couldn't you couldn't do it again. Like right. the, the way that that game works now is so different from like because they would now talk. it's like the whole thing. Well, I mean, they did talk back then, and that was what was so spectacular about that season, is that it wasn't like his level of gameplay, like, he really did just get stuck with a bunch of people who his shit worked yeah. on. Um, and like he said, if he was on Zapatera, that probably wouldn't have happened. No, yeah. it w- it wouldn't have at all. And, like, he just got very lucky. But I also think, like, now the way that Survivor works, even 10 years past that, is so much more advanced. We're, like, and advanced in a bad way sometimes. Because like, they have a meta-knowledge no stability. Of, of what has happened before as well. Yeah, and even the people back then did, but it was still, like, their meta-knowledge was more associated with, like, the down-home version of the game, whereas the people with the meta-knowledge now, like, Survivor has more of, like, an, a topsy-turvy element, and it's, like, sort of known more on a meta basis as being more topsy-turvy. So, like, they do a lot of, like, I don't know, like, 
people get on and they like freak out. Like I think that the social anxiety is much higher than it used to be. Yeah. And like, so there's no stability. Like we're you know watching that it's a 43 game. right now. Yeah. And like they, people always did, but it's like, we're watching 43 right now and it's like no alliances are sticking together. Wow. Like it's all just like fast and loose all the time. It's just like whoever's on the bottom that week is kind of like whoever people are having paranoia about yeah. that week. Like there's no, there's not a lot of like continuity from episode to episode. Um, but Guys, dystopia month has been fun. Yeah. Um, let's not read a dystopia for a while no. though, and let's never read a divergent book again. Um, because this book was a total disaster. But th- this all being said, I would love to read something that Veronica Roth wrote as a full adult. Yes. Um, just to see what that would be like. And I feel like also too, to give her some more credit before we do end that. This maybe was something that was written very quickly after the first Divergent. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Like, so I I give her space for that. And it must have been hard to, like, have a smash novel and then immediately have to write a follow-up and to, like, not really know where you were going. So I hold space for that. That doesn't mean that I think the book is good or that I will ever read it again, though. Yes, that's fair. All right, everybody. Uh, I hope you enjoyed Dystopia Month as much as we did, or more than we did even. That would be really great. Yeah. Um, uh, but as always, uh, you can find us on social media at Girls Like Us Show on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to our Patreon at Girls Like uh, uh, Patreon.com slash Girls Like Us Show. Our theme music is composed by the wickedly talented one and only Leggy, and our producer is the fabulous, the talented, the wonderful Camden Stacy. Have a great week, everybody. See you in November, and happy Halloween. Bye! Bye.